My great pleasure to introduce Rosemary Addis AM, who's the founding partner of Mondial Impact recently, and also the Impact Ambassador for the Global Steering Group for Impact Investing. And Rosemary, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks very much, Philip. Nice to be here. And you contributed to our last report, which was Proactive Communication for Changemakers. And what we've recently done is no more greenwashing. And that's a look at driving evidence-based progress in ESG and impact investing, and really a wrap-up of regulatory initiatives in the UK, in uh, Europe, and Australia. And there's many more zones to look at, though it's, you know, as an internal project, we thought we'd start there. And I was just wondering, what do you see as the opportunity inside greenwashing The opportunity definitely for greater transparency and integrity around the impact that organisations are having. Mm. That's not about getting it all completely right. It's about being clear about what we know, what we don't know, what the journey is that we're on and what progress is being made. And I was speaking to Cliff Pryor recently, and he mentioned um, Elias Matalalis, I believe, from South Africa, talking about he'd rather have investment with a little bit of greenwashing, then no investment, because you know we need we need change. We need positive change in the world. Uh, what is your take on that? So, I agree that overall we need to not lose sight of the big picture. Mm. Um, that we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Mm. I'm not sure it's a question of do we accept some greenwashing around the edges, or do we accept that we're currently making decisions on imperfect information. That's a reality. We do that all the time, including on financial metrics. Mm. Um, and so how are we clear then about what it is we know and don't know, um, how are we clear about what's actually being achieved through those investments? Um, critically important that we're seeing more investment go particularly into middle and lower income countries uh, unless we continue to try to build that kind of investment. We're not going to make progress on some of the most significant goals. And that is... I think people don't always appreciate that costs everybody um, when we look at issues like health infrastructure and the pandemic or climate resilience. Uh, we need to be able to bring everybody along in order for us to achieve our goals and to um, ensure that we can maintain quality of life for, you know, for everyone in the world. So directing capital into those markets is really is really important. And at the moment, what we're seeing as the fiscal conditions tighten and there's volatility in markets is the investments going in the wrong direction. So definitely agree with um, with Eliza that we need to be bringing more investment into those markets. I think we can do that in a way where there's transparency about what we know and don't know and about the progress we're making, even where we're operating on imperfect information. Hmm. And you've been working in this field for decades now, I believe. That one. I have been working in this field yeah. for decades and yet I'm still only 27. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, the transition to, I almost feel like we're at this moment of getting close to a, a synthesis of methodologies, like more of a like a, a baseline where people can go, okay, that's the way forwards. I think uh, I was speaking with Kristen Siegel where she mentioned there are hundreds of measurement metrics out there. Do you feel we are getting to more of a gestalt in the in the in the ability for people to measure impact? There's been a step change in the last five to ten years for sure, and we're now seeing regulatory measures come into play as well so that we've got both the opportunity for people to engage more with the frameworks that have been developed and we're starting to see government regulation create some push 
um, factors in terms of people looking at how they're reporting, the data they're collecting, what they're able to to disclose about their performance. Where I think we've still got more work to do is socialising and helping people to adopt some of the work that's been done. Mm. Things like the impact management project work, for example, the SDG impact standards, in my view, represent a real step change in our ability to talk about impact, not only for reporting purposes, but in terms of goal setting, strategy, how we're managing for performance around impact, and as well as being transparent about what's being achieved. And those tools are widely available as public goods. What hasn't yet happened is a synthesis of those into some of the more mainstream markets. We're starting to see it happen, uh, but there's more work to do on that for sure. But certainly we've seen a step change in the tools that are available in the last five years or so. And my feeling is anecdotally that there may be a skills shortage in general in the in the developed marketplace from a skills related to impact measurement perspective, what's a a simple way for firms or funds to get started in saying, okay, they know they need to do this, though, what do you do? Do you go find an impact measurement intern and skill them up? Or do you go and find where where are these highly skilled people? Like, how do we actually internalize this as a process inside organizations? Hmm. So there are people who've been doing this for a long time. uh, And Certainly, that group is highly networked and and specialised. There are now, I would say, a broader group who've been coming along behind who've been already filling those internships, working with groups like Tideline in the US or um, at some of the universities or with the Global Impact Investment Network or indeed the Global Steering Group um, and with individual impact firms uh, and organisations like B Corps who have been building those skills. There's also a group that has come through a more ESG uh, practice in the financial markets, and we're starting to see some cross-pollinisation. The easiest and most accessible thing that people can do is to start to educate themselves. And one place to start, which has been facilitated by the United Nations Development Program, is a free course that is offered by Duke University, available on the Coursera platform, that gives an introduction to the fundamentals of impact measurement and management for the SDGs. Mm. So if people search Duke impact measurement and management for the SDGs, you'll bring up the the course. It's freely available. It's nine hours. You can knock it over in a weekend or even less. Mm. And there's a lot of useful tools available there. We're also seeing the emergence of specialists. And so as people are skilling up their teams internally, we're seeing more specialists into the, into the market, some of whom have been pioneers in their own right. I'm pleased to see, for example, Tideline growing not only in the US, but also starting to have an impact on advising organisations here in Australia. Uh, Bridges uh, Insights has been a, a hallmark of the Bridges Fund Management team. And of course, we now have Bridges Australia and uh, Sabina Curatolo is the partner of Bridges Insight here. So there are specialist intermediaries who people can look to as well to help them on that journey. I'd also encourage organisations to look at all levels. Of course, growing talent is important. Um, Having somebody whose job it is to drive this within the organisation is important. It's also really critical that boards are skilled up in in this area and 
they can rely on advice, but it's increasingly important that they also have people with relevant skills and depending on the business sector, its geographies, that might look slightly different. But um, having that capability to ensure that the organisation's governance is in place around impact and that the board is confident to really drive the leadership uh, that is needed for organisations to embrace and integrate impact is a critical factor. Hmm. And where boards are essentially the the managers of risk, they're the ones who steer the ship and make sure you don't hit any risk icebergs, for want of a better analogy. Um, Can you paint the picture for me of what a risk in measurement or ESG or impact looks like? Like what is where where will it touch an organization? What should directors be considering? You know, it's mm-hmm. one thing to call it a risk, but what is that? How am I going to know this is a risk? What what should I be looking for? Well it's an interesting perspective because there are a few areas where particularly through Mondial Impact we see where we work with you know with with boards of organizations around the world, we see boards getting stuck in certain areas. Mm. So so there are risks, and to answer your question, uh, some of the risks that boards should be looking at is are we aware of our sustainability context to make good decisions about what's material to the business? Mm. Are we able to articulate where environmental and social risks are really important for our business? Have we set goals around those? Uh, do we understand the dynamics that affect them? Um, so What we see, though, is that the boards that get preoccupied with the risk dimension Mm. also miss opportunities. Uh, That in itself can create some paralysis around knowing where to act or being confident about where to to act. It can create an environment where people are being more reactive to the regulations or the perceived risks than they are proactive about saying what would good look like, what would it look like for us to be able to manage this risk well and to move forward in ways that we're also using impact as an identifier of different types of opportunities to differentiate ourselves in the market. And so we really encourage boards to be looking at both the risk and opportunity set and to be proactive as well as being responsive to the regulatory in and risk environment. Mm. I remember from the proactive communications piece we did where there was an investment spectrum and where we had essentially pure VC plays at this side and then uh, philanthropy at this side when we started to look at impact measurement for philanthropists and they started assessing whether or not this was going to have high or low impact for the people they were giving money to, suddenly they stopped deploying a lot of money uh, because where they were traditionally handing the money to good causes, they were now trying to assess them like a VC firm as to whether or not they were going to get that return. And I think in relation to that paralysis point you mentioned, that was, um, yeah, it's just an educational learning piece around how quickly can we assess things and how does it align with mandate, I'd suggest. That's part of it. We see also... Some boards are getting a lot of information, particularly around climate, sometimes more than is useful to them to actually try to make decisions. So working through a process of understanding what is really important for our business, um, how do we understand these dynamics in terms of the impact they might have, and to try to guide the organisation through a process where you're feeling more confident to navigate that. 
Uh, we all see sometimes overwhelming organisations, including in boardrooms, as they introduce social and environmental factors because the problems seem large and complex, which they are. But when you're faced in that, with that, it can seem a bit overwhelming. And so for organisations to then start to unpack, well, what's our role in that? How does it really affect our business? can be a very helpful process. And in fact, we find that bringing the impact lens, including looking at impact risks, can be a very helpful way to bring a more nuanced view around the organisation's core business, sometimes highlighting opportunities that hadn't been seen before and that that dimension can be a very useful tool to boards in making good decisions. Yeah. I know an axiom for me as a consultant is always, how can I improve the client's condition? And that may not be the whole long-term transition to a future vision. It can simply be right now, how do we do something that's going to move us forwards? And you may have already explained this in in pieces, though you set up Mondial Impact last year as the founding partner or co-founding partner, I believe. Um, what is Mondial? Please tell us more. So Mondial Impact is a partnership of practitioners. There are six founding partners based all around the globe, and we also have a highly experienced executive officer, Serafina, based in Adelaide. And we are actively working with boards and decision makers facing into exactly these challenges and, and opportunities. If you like, in the vernacular, we help people to get unstuck um, or find those kind of acupressure points very much as peers actively problem solving with them. Um, we, you know, if we zoom back from that, what we do is help people understand the, the context in which they're operating, what are the themes that are shaping this conversation around impact, what does it mean for their business to um, examine that landscape and um, be uh, more able to pull out the, the pieces that are really important for them to anticipate what's coming next. We've all been doing this for a long time, so anticipating what uh, might be coming down the line and how that is important for their strategies and management of of impact. Uh, and what we find is that that really helps to cut through the noise, helps people chart a course forward. Um, so it's a um, it's a very bespoke engagement with each organisation that brings together the expertise of the founding partners who've all been doing this for a really long time. And specialising in, in the impact lens for finance firms or just generally for boards who are? So we pretty agnostic as to the type of organisations. What we are looking for and engaging with people around is a, a real commitment to integrate impact more fully into what they're doing to understand where that can be a driver of value and help them manage uh, the risk and to be responsive to the big changes we're seeing, which are changing the nature of governance and what the role of boards looks like. And so for organisations that are grappling with that or are embracing it and want to now really enhance their performance and be able to use it as more of a value driver and to differentiate themselves in the market, that's where we find uh, there's the right conditions for Mondial to engage. Mm. Sometimes that's with corporates, sometimes it's with investment firms, sometimes it's with their portfolio companies as they work to say, well, we've made these commitments to impact goals. How do we bring the boards of the companies we're investing with along on that mm. on that journey? Yeah, it's so fascinating to me that uh, maybe 10 years ago when social uh, shareholder activism was starting to seep into concerns or awareness 
within board circles and then tack on regulatory changes on a government level where there's been this sort of global alignment of like all right we are all gonna we are all gonna manage emissions we are all gonna look after the world um and factoring all those things in you then have this perfect hotbed of like all right we need to be accountable transparent responsible we need to measure what's going on because people are asking us questions and we need to answer those questions and yeah it's it might be a bit more work but then we're doing the work anyway so why not do work that matters the shift we're seeing is from selective attention to social and environmental matters and sometimes where that's been a positive add-on through things like corporate social responsibility to a more holistic view around the impact that those issues might be having for the business, the potential opportunities, but also the impact the business is having on the world or that the investments are having on the world. And increasingly, as we understand the nature of the challenges that we're facing, particularly through climate change, but also in the way that that intersects with a range of other social and cultural issues, that's an imperative for all of us. And the choices we make in the next seven to 10 years will define what the future looks like. And there'll be some things we can't turn the dial back on if we don't make those choices in the coming years. And so that is something that we need to encourage as many people and organisations to be part of making the positive, proactive choices as we can. Mm. What are you excited about at the moment? I'm excited about aspects of the change that is underway while there's a lot of challenge around us that there's a lot that's confronting about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I'm excited that it's an, a real point in history that really are the circumstances laid quite so bare that we can reinvent and transform the future. And I'm excited to see more people engaging with that conversation, with that possibility with finding solutions for the problems that need it most and kind of direct investment and activity to be creating the future that we want for ourselves and for our kids. Yeah, wonderful. It's always a pleasure. And thank you so much for your support and your uh, contribution to the white paper. And, yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for the work that you're doing, Philip. Terrific to have the contribution of these thought-provoking pieces that people can engage with and always lovely to speak with you.